So you should have two uh, handouts. One uh, shorter thing, a brief on eschatology, kind of covers some of the basic bases. But uh, bigger questions I borrowed from the study we did, I did uh, several years ago uh, during the summer on the whole book of Revelation. And I've extracted from that the passage uh, in Revelation 20 concerning the millennium. Okay, So if you have questions about our view of the millennium, I think this would give you pretty solid, not, not that you could agree with it, but pretty good summary of why we hold to it. Uh, you'd hope it would be because it goes for 11 pages, right? Um, and then, starting on page 12, Revelation 13, and the reason I've got that is it's about the beast, okay? Well, really, the two beasts. Um, and so who are they? What, what do you do with them? And then also the number 666. So I included things like this, the millennium, uh, the beasts, and the number 666, because these are the things floating out there big time, you know. Uh, these kind of get the news, and um, we are so bombarded by false views of what's coming down the pike that we can take it almost for gospel and, and, and even though we're not actively maybe uh, believing these things, they just form the constant backdrop for all these things. So we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit today, uh, but obviously can't do anything but touch on it. <clears throat> uh, so let's uh, pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, the great hope of his coming, the great hope of the renewal of the earth, the great hope of rescue, restoration of all things, the great hope of our own uh, salvation in which we will be purified, in which we will be made clean and whole and good through and through. We will never know another sinful thought or word or deed. We will treat with one another with the greatest joy and love. Uh, we'll be a part of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, doing all that you've called us to do in that uh, new situation uh, to fulfill uh, the mandate you have for us as human beings. Uh, Lord, we, we praise you that you've done all of this through the precious work of Jesus, that he has suffered so that we might have the kingdom. And as you gave hope to the church in Jesus' day, and epistle after epistle, and in the book of Revelation itself, we pray that you would give us hope, Lord. Give us grace to ever keep that hope before us, so that we can, as Peter commands us to do in 1 Peter 1, fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, of course, one big topic of the day are the last days, right? We hear about it all the time. The, I was in college. I was told that I was in the, uh, the terminal generation. Uh, and in 76, the book actually came out. Uh, Late Great Planet Earth in 1970, Hal Lindsey. So, 
and all of these books, because of the establishment of Israel in 1948, there was thought to be this scheme that was set up, and now we're on the downhill of the last days, beginning in our day, okay? The last days are here on us now, and they've never been, but now they're they are on us. Uh, it's interesting, I went to a, I didn't go, but a, a, a guy I know went to a booksellers conference, and I forget which year, it was one of those years where it was the year, you know, that Jesus is coming back, and the book had 101 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 2001 or whatever it was. So this was a bookseller's convention. So this guy went to the other one that's selling those books. And uh, he said, I'll make you a deal. I'll buy all 10,000 of your books if you will buy them back for twice the price after December 31st. <laughs> He wouldn't do it. <laughs> Even though he'd come up with 101 reasons. <laughs> Talk about putting your money where your mouth is. <laughs> he, he wasn't willing to do that. <clears throat> but last days, uh, obviously from any just cursory reading of the New Testament, you can see that the last days began in Christ. They began with Christ, okay, and continue till this day. So as Acts 2 Says Now, here's Peter quoting the prophet Joel, uh, where Joel says, In the last days it shall be that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, remember, Peter's not saying, and so, one of these days, in the last day, 2,000 years from now, God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit. No, he had already poured out his Holy Spirit, right? He's preaching on the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, and he is showing that this uh, prophecy of Joel has now come to fulfillment in Christ's resurrection, uh, death and resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. Uh, so the last days uh, have already occurred. Now, interesting, later in that quote, he talks about the uh, earth and moon, I mean, the moon and sun and the cataclysmic things are going to occur. So you see that the last days have begun, but there are many things to unfold in the future of the last days. Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days. So clearly, you see, before Christ, after Christ. In these last days, he's already spoken by his son, right? <clears throat> Same thing in First Peter 1. He, that is, Jesus was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. <clears throat> so, again, 1 John 2, children, it is the last hour. We'll talk a little bit about this later, but as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. Uh, we know that the last hour is upon us because we're now seeing the Antichrist We'll, we'll speak to that in, in a second too. Then these statements as well. 1 Corinthians 10, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Already come. The end of the ages had come right there. In Hebrews 9, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. Now, if you just took those words last days or end of the ages out of context, you would just assume 
It must be at the very end, you know, the very end, end of the ages or last days, which certainly we can't be in the last, they couldn't have been in the last days then because it's been 2,000 years, 2,000 years of last days. Yeah, that's what, that's the way the Bible looks at it, 2,000 years of last days. So for the New Testament writers, the last days uh, commenced with the coming of Christ, uh, especially at the point of his death and resurrection. Uh, when he's preaching in uh, Athens, he says this, showing the critical nature of Christ's resurrection and how he catches up history and points it in a specific direction. The times of ignorance God overlooked. That's the times before Christ. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he's fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So though it was in the plan of God, it, it wasn't revealed that, wait, a human being is going to be part of that judgment in that last day. But now we find that human being is none other than the God man, Jesus Christ. Whoa, this changes everything, Paul says. Everything is reoriented to point to this uh, future judgment. And he has proven this, given us assurance that he will be the judge of the world because he raised him from the dead. So you see, the resurrection meant uh, the the, uh, beginning of a whole new era, a whole new age, uh, the last days. So, as I say, Christ changed the course of history. He's the one in whom all things in heaven and on earth will be united. Uh, One could say that upon his death and resurrection, history is on the final downslope toward judgment and the renewal of all things. Indeed, these are the last days begun in Christ, ruled by Christ, finally consummated in Christ. Okay, any questions? Any questions on the last days? Now, that's not everything to be said, you know, for last days, but it certainly does show that it's wrong for people to say, you know, now we're in the last days as though we've never been in the last days, as though they, it happened, you know, this century or whatever. It's just not according to Bible, the Bible. Also, the Antichrist. The Antichrist, the term Antichrist, is only found in John's letters. 1 John and 2 John. It's not found anywhere in Paul. It's not found anywhere in Revelation. It's not found anywhere, anything anywhere. It's not used in the Old Testament. This is a term that John uh, uses. Children, it's the last hour, so you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. We just read that, right? Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And we'll draw some conclusions here in a minute. And then later in verse... Uh, After, he says in verse 20, you've been anointed by the Holy One. You all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And he's speaking about a present heresy, right? This is not something... It's going to happen 2,000 years from now. This is happening now, as he indicated in verse 18. 
by this in verse, uh, in verse John 4, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And then finally, Second John For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. All right, so notice, one, there are many antichrists. That's not, that's hardly ever said any time, anywhere on popular evangelical radios, right? Um, That there are many antichrists. It's always the antichrist is coming. The antichrist is coming. Is this person the antichrist? Is that person the antichrist? Wonder when he's going to show up. Uh, Odd that the actual word is just found here. Speaking of not one but many. And second point. They've already on the scene. Right? All these references are to what. It's taking place right then and there among the people of God. B.B. Warfield writes this, Antichrist is not a future, but a present phenomenon. Not a thing to be looked forward to in nameless dread, but a thing to be courageously met in our everyday living. How about that for a different perspective? And, and that's, that sets it forth so well. With this Antichrist is coming, wonder what's going to happen, what's going to be like... You're facing Antichrist now. We're facing Antichrist now. And we must fight courageously, as Orfield says. Their present indicates that those believers were in the last hour. It begins with the coming of Christ and continues until he will come again. As Riddlebarger writes, love that name, Riddlebarger. This means that with the coming of Christ... We have the coming of the last hour as well as the coming of many antichrists, right? Coming of Christ means the coming of many antichrists. Satan immediately is pitting himself against the truth. Not only is antichrist not restricted to an individual, it's said to be a spirit in chapter 4, verse 3. Actually... uh, the word spirit is not there underlined, but it's taken from every spirit that does not confess. And then it just has, many times they'll have a little ellipsis and leave out the word spirit in the second time. But the little uh, the is there that stands for it. So a little shorthand. But every spirit, so this is the spirit of Antichrist. And this could indicate that this spirit may be found in many people throughout history, Right? It's not just a person, it's this force, this power, this movement, this whole uh, life uh, of wickedness that stands against Christ. Antichrist in John is practically synonymous with heresy. Okay? He denies that Jesus is a Christ, he does not confess Jesus, does not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. I say he, they. So, uh, the, in terms of what the Antichrist was then, it has to do with proclaiming a false Christ, proclaiming lies about Christ. Um, and in that regard, people who are 
not, who, who refuse to teach that Jesus died on the cross for sins, that's Antichrist, okay? They teach that he was not raised from the dead, Antichrist. They teach he did not or could not have done miracles, Antichrist, right? I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, they're like possessed of the devil or whatever. I'm saying that according to what John says, all teaching that veers, not just somebody making a little mistake here or there about Christ, but they're taking an essential, critical aspect of Christ without which you cannot be saved, okay? Cannot be saved if you don't believe those things. And so he's saying whatever comes now, John, or throughout this period, it all is a part of the Antichrist. So amazing how much the Antichrist has been a part of the church, the professing church. And just like this, he said, as I mentioned in the the service, after saying that, uh, well, here... Uh, after many antichrists have come, he says in uh, chapter 2, verse 18, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. So these were people in the church that ended up being antichrist, okay? Um, and so we can expect that that will happen throughout this, the last days. That's what I say there in number five. <clears throat> um, so now we're left with this question. <clears throat> Here's John, the only one who holds to or or uses the word antichrist. How then does this term relate to uh, the man of lawlessness, which is spoken of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Man of lawlessness that Paul says there, he, he says there actually, some people are afraid the end has come. He says, but the end won't come until the rebellion occurs, until the man of lawlessness shows up. And he says he's being restrained right now, but there will be a day where he will be unleashed, so to speak. So does Antichrist have anything to do with the man of lawlessness? The other question would be, does the Antichrist have anything to do with the beast of Revelation? Because many people just associate easily with the beast you know the beast rises up this is the antichrist against the church and some of the same things are said about the beast or what he says and how he blasphemes god that are said about the man of lawlessness so wh- how do we deal with this uh, at least as as careful commentators will say you if you're going to make the case you really have to make the case that they're associated or that they uh point to the same individual. First, you have to assume that of the many antichrists that are here, that perhaps at the end of time, it will have a final, intense, terrible manifestation, okay? So that there will be an intensification of the antichrist spirit in a way that had never been known before. And that's certainly possible. And it appears that that might parallel what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, that now the man of lawlessness is restrained, but he will be finally released. Or the beast that is in Revelation 20, thrown, uh, bound and thrown into the pit, he's bound so that the, he won't deceive the nations, so the gospel goes out to the nations, so he can't stop it. 
And, but then at the end of that time, he is unleashed as well. So could those, you know, could the man of lawlessness, I, I think it's, it's very, it's more likely at least that the man of lawlessness and the beast could coincide because they both seem to be political uh, in their power, at least the first beast. The second beast, chapter 13, is more to do with, uh, with uh, deception and deception of, of the truth. The first one is brute power, it seems. Well, the problem with those is that here the Antichrist of John doesn't seem to wield any kind of political power at all. It doesn't be, seem to be associated in any way with political power. So I don't know that you can make a, a quick assumption that the Antichrist is coming when it never says that the Antichrist is coming. It does say a man of lawlessness. Maybe you could, you could certainly say... He will be a part of the spirit of Antichrist. Right, no doubt. He's a part of the spirit of Antichrist. The beast is a part of the spirit of Antichrist in that he will so oppose the church. So that's what I feel comfortable saying. Yes, they are a part of the Antichrist that started at the time of John. Uh, But I don't know if... It's certainly not careful biblical language for me to say... The Antichrist is coming, you know, called by that name and predicted in Scripture that he's coming. Okay, does that make sense? So there, there may be some relationship in, in all of these. <clears throat> um, also, another <clears throat> relationship perhaps between the man of lawlessness and uh, <clears throat> the beast is, uh, or in the Antichrist, is this, that the man of lawlessness uh, takes his seat in the temple of God. That means he takes over leadership in the church. Temple of God always refers to the church, not the temple of uh, Jerusalem. In fact, in John, uh, he calls that the synagogue of Satan, who call themselves Jews. So it's not likely that the, they're going to say, yes, it's still the temple of God. It's not at that point. They had rejected his Messiah. So this is referring to the church. So like the antichrists, maybe the final antichrist, if there is one, who spring up from within the church, the man of lawlessness puts himself in the middle of God's people and draws him away from God. So you can see the, the idea of, of, of uh, antichrist is certainly there. Well, that's just to give you a little idea of the in a very short form of how these different uh, beings are <clears throat> spoken of. Any, any questions? Yeah, that's all I'm saying is that if you're going to use biblical language, you'd say the man of lawlessness. But you could certainly say, and he's going to really express the spirit of Antichrist. You know, I think that's safe to say. Not necess- oh, well, I do think of it. Yeah, that's a good question because the beast, uh, and here's another difference in that the beast, um, just like the beasts of uh, Daniel, and this beast that comes out of the sea in uh, 
Revelation 13 is a composite of all four beasts of, of Daniel to indicate that the time is on us and here he is. And, but, but it's an indication more of political power in general, you know, a nation rising even or whatever. And, and at that point, perhaps uh, a worldwide, you know, of some sort uh, coercion that attacks the people of God all over the world. Uh, even to a point, as it indicates in Revelation um, chapter um, is it 16 with the two witnesses, uh, that it says they die and they represent the church. And at that point, it looks like the church is almost snuffed out in Revelation. And this seems to correspond to uh, Revelation 20 as well when the... Uh, Nations rise up and attack the church, and they're rescued at the nick, in the nick of time. And Jesus seems to indicate this as well. So, anyway, but but a single, you know, a single antichrist for say. But the man of lawlessness, most commentators would say, is some individual. You know, but there again, that's a difference between that and what generally the beast is thought of. Yeah, Don. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a general statement in Romans, of course, and elsewhere that all men are under sin and all men have rebelled against God. All men have rejected God. Um, but the specific language of Antichrist is people coming out of the church preaching heresy. You know, like it's it's a from within movement. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, it couldn't come from without and that philosophies in fact the second prof the second beast is more concerned with uh, false philosophy false religion and so to me that would be kind of coalescing in some ways with antichrist but antichrist strictly speaking as john presents it are people with rising within the church proclaiming specifically false doctrines about christ i'm just trying to stick to where what it says and you know Try not to go beyond. Bill? Yeah, I think in a general way, you'd have to say anyone who opposes the gospel or refuses the gospel is against Christ. So Christ says, he who is not for me is against me, you know, in that sense. So I think there's certainly that general idea of the rejection of God and rejection of Christ that's in the world. In fact, it says in Second uh, Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter one, this about the coming of Christ. It's very specific. He says, um, "You know, wait a minute." Yeah, um, 
what am I thinking about? Just a minute. I'm not crazy. I, I, I am crazy, but it's chapter 1. Um, so he, he says this, that the Lord Jesus will be revealed with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So there is this specific pouring out of wrath on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah. And of course, Jesus said, he who hates me, rejects me, has rejected the Father. He believes in me, believes in the Father. So it's hard to pull threads apart of people who are opposed to God, people opposed to Christ, because they're the same thing. That did, did, did that answer at all your question? Yeah, so undoubtedly in that day, uh, just like Jesus says, they're uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. You'll know them by their fruit. But, but Jesus also says in that parable, in many cases, they won't be known until that final day. Yeah, that's a good point. So there is this constant reference in Scripture. It's amazing, sometimes disturbing, how often... The writers appeal to Christians to say, make sure of your election and calling, just like Second Peter does, or make sure of, of your uh, belonging to Christ, you know. So they were, they were wide, eyes wide open about the danger, you know, of falling away from Christ. Not that a true believer could, but they, uh, the way God preserves us is that we persevere, you know. He preserves us, and the result is that we persevere, so, yeah. No, 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 yeah. Right, you see the question, are we, are we picking different individuals? Say, you know, I think he might be Antichrist. Uh, what do you think? You know, that kind of... Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think the idea of the spirit of Antichrist is really helpful, like uh, to say, uh, at least at this point, if someone is, is teaching a doctrine that undermines the person of Jesus Christ. He's participating in Antichrist at that point. I don't, I'm not so, my, at least myself, I'm not free to say you are Antichrist or, or whatever, but you are participating in the spirit of Antichrist, uh, of this undermining of the truth of Christ, which is the essence of what, does that help at all? Yeah, it's true. He's trying to bring it along to something a little more sound. That's where it's functional for us. It's not for us to go out and go hunt them down and burn them on the stake or whatever. Right. Practical day, 
Yeah. And, and certainly, I mean, the worst thing in the world would be for us to start <clears throat> throwing epithets around to evangelicals or something. I mean, that would just be crazy. And let me tell you how this is weird that this happened in our own presbytery, but uh, we were proposing that the Sabbath could be, because uh, people disagree that the Sabbath, you can't have recreation on the Sabbath. Every pastor that comes through says, I take exception to that. I'll play football with my kid on Sunday afternoon. And everybody says, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. But our, our confession says, no, you cannot do that, okay? Which also would say you cannot eat out and you cannot watch the Super Bowl, okay? That's, and all of that's very clear from the original meaning of it. So we were proposing that um, you could uh, say, I, I take the Heidelberg Catechism at the point of of the Sabbath. Heidelberg is more New Covenant oriented, talks about the fulfillment in Christ, which Westminster doesn't. And it talks about it's the emphasis of uh, resting in Christ from all of our works and uh, gathering with the people of God to worship. Okay, so it's a different flavor about it. But there was one fella in the Presbytery who stood up and said, kind of threw his hands up in disgust and said, Well, if we do this with Heidelberg, where's it going to end? I'm like, oh, you mean we would slippery slope into another reform <laughs> historic document? You know, it's just, where in the world? Now, I wouldn't say it's Antichrist, but I'm just saying we have to be careful that we're talking about serious uh, heresy that if you believe it, you will not be believing in the, in the Christ of the Bible. As we say, do you receive and rest upon Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel. Okay, that's a critical part of that question. Not your own idea of Christ, not something you just came up with. This Christ presented in the gospel. Do you believe in him as the son of God and savior of sinners, you know? So I would reserve, that's why throwing it around loosely is, is very dangerous and it should be reserved for clear instances where somebody is so participating in that that you have to say they're partaking. This is part of the Antichrist, you know, when this happens. Yeah. John, is it fair to say that this man of lawlessness uh, is an especially prominent evil man uh, as opposed to like the incarnate Satan? Yeah, I think so. I think most of the commentators, they all, as far as I can say, say it's an individual, it's a man that, you know, um, all right, so the rest of this, okay, uh, let's touch on death in the intermediate state. Now, uh, I do wish we were in the uh, lecture hall to just draw this uh, for you, but if we, if we did, I would do this, okay? I would have this line that indicates your life, imagine with me. All right, and then the line splits, and it goes like this, and then it comes back together over here, all right? So when it splits is where you die, all right? And the indication is the body goes to the grave, and the spirit goes to be with Christ. That's what happens to us. That's not good. I mean, it's good that you go to be with Christ. That's wonderful, glorious. But it's not good for your spirit and your body to be torn apart, amputated, ripped Rip, you are ripped apart, 
right? Um, so that, that's not the way you were made. That's not the way you're going to stay because God's going to restore you, as we said today, soul, spirit, and, and body, blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why uh, you've heard me say, many of you, the uh, Alabama's version of this is when they'll have a funeral and a coffin will be right in front of the pulpit and the guy will say, Bill is no longer here. Bill is with Jesus. You know, you, and we're all kind of, yeah, yeah, Bill's not, that's not Bill. And you think, this is Bill. This is just as much Bill as that's Bill. And this part of Bill needs to be resurrected, okay? That's what we say. We believe in the resurrection of the body. And it's not that, you know, the real Bill's gone. He didn't really need this anyway. He's with Jesus. No big deal. That's not the way the New Testament looks at it. This is a, even though we get to go with, be with Jesus, death is a tragedy. It remains so until, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, and the last enemy he will destroy is death, right? There we go. <laughs> Finally, death is destroyed and, and we are restored. So we're with Jesus, our body's here, but at the end of, of uh, this age, it says Jesus in 1 Thessalonians 4 will come with those who have died. So those spirits that have gone to be with him attend him in his coming. And as I think we said a couple of weeks ago, they get their body first, as, as Paul indicates there. And then he says, after that, we who are here, who are left, uh, we have our bodies changed. So as we said, rightly it's right that we should step aside, so to speak, and they get their bodies first, right? But that's, that's the whole structure uh, of this uh, age and how it will end in the coming of Christ. That's why 1 Corinthians 6 uh, teaches that which is uh, reflected in the Shorter Catechism. Uh, question and answer 37, speaking of death, says, And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in the grave till the resurrection. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't matter if what happens to your body. In some way, we don't understand. Your body is still united to Christ, and it will be uh, resurrected because you are still united to Christ. <clears throat> So, a few times there is the mention of going to be with Christ, uh, Philippians 1 and 2 Corinthians 5, and certainly Revelation, uh, even in chapter 20, paints a beautiful picture of those who have died that are reigning uh, with Christ right now <clears throat> and, and who later will come with him. We are the spirits of righteous made perfect, as Hebrews 12 says. And also, as he, Revelation 6 says, we're crying out, how long? All right? Um, heaven is not quite as restful as some people make it out to be. Uh, there are uh, godly protests, we might say, <laughs> or appeals. So, you know, how long? How long will it be? And then uh, the coming of Christ, as I said uh, also, 1 Corinthians 15 reflects that same thing. The dead shall be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. See, the two parts of it. The, 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 those who have died will have their bodies raised. We will be changed. And, of course, this is nothing less than receiving a body like Christ's glorious body. You've heard us read it many times. Uh, Philippians 
3, 20, and 21, uh, which says, Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Pretty plain, right? Whatever Jesus' body is, our bodies will become that. That's also set forth in 1 Corinthians 15 when he explores uh, the different aspects of uh, or the change that undergoes uh, our bodies. Because here it is sown in dishonor. There it will be raised in glory. Here it is perishable. Then it will be imperishable. Here it is weak. Then it will be powerful. Here it is natural. Then it will be spiritual. That is completely possessed and owned and influenced by the Holy Spirit. Okay, That's how I take that passage. So uh, we, we don't know all that it's going to mean, but it sure sounds uh, amazing, doesn't it? So we enter into the very glory of his humanity. As Paul says in Romans 8, he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And uh, a verse later, he says uh, that whole process of predestination ends in our being glorified. So being conformed to the image of Christ is synonymous with being glorified in Romans 8. doesn't mean that he's not conforming us now, but it specially has in view this final uh, conformity. And sometimes it gets almost... If you weren't bearing in mind that he's talking about Christ's humanity, it sounds almost blasphemous, the things that Paul says about us and uh, and Christ. For instance, uh, I'll just mention one, 2 Thessalonians uh, 2. So, verse 14, he says, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very specific. You will obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that simply means you will attain the glory of his humanity because he died and was raised to bring our humanity to that condition, you see. And bringing his own humanity to that condition, he um, enabled us, he will enable us to come into that condition as well. So um, we do completely disagree with the view that in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is teaching about a silent rapture. It takes us to heaven and begins the seven years of tribulation. In other words, we disagree with the whole left behind series. Right? We don't think it's taught here or anywhere else. And just be reminded this has to do with their scheme of God, the separation of his program with Israel from his program with the church. Um, I read this just this week, learned a new word. Dispensationalists call the time of the church as an intercalation, okay? That means an interruption or an insertion. So some have pictured it this way. For the original dispensationalists, you have Israel, then you have a parenthesis with the church. It was not anticipated in the prophets, not foreseen in any way that the church would exist, never mentioned in the prophets. They are talking about what happens after the parenthesis when God gets back to Israel. Now the promises of the Old Testament have their fulfillment. Um, Of course, you read a a passage like Amos chapter uh, 9, 
when he talks about the renewal of the tent of David and things like this that sound so completely Jewish and how God's going to renew Israel. And there's James quoting it in Acts 15 being fulfilled in the gospel to the Gentiles. He's just almost like, James, are you sure you meant that? You know, that you're quoting this passage that talks about Israel and you're saying this, this restoration, this blessing of Israel is now being fulfilled as the gospel goes out to the Gentiles? Absolutely. Because this is what was foretold. This is, this is the fulfillment of the blessing of Israel. Is the blessing of the church now uh, as we are blessed in Christ. And that's, again, in the New Testament is why the Jews are considered no longer circumcised but mutilated, Philippians 3, because their circumcision doesn't mean anything anymore because they don't believe in Jesus. Um, they've rejected the one Messiah of Israel. Uh, and other passages that will refer to their circumcision and other things as not being real. Um, there are There is an indication in Romans 11 that God will be uh, gathering in Israel throughout the course of this age so that in the end all Israel will be saved. That is, uh, all of Israel that he's going to be saved, all that God wants to save will be rescued. So he is not done with Israel in that sense. But he's going to gather Israel in through the church, okay? Well, I think we're out of time. Um, the rest of this. And then this is thicker and uh, a lot more uh, detail. But if you want to read about the differences in the millennial views and why we hold that the millennium is now, uh, that we're in the millennium right now, then uh, I urge you to, to read that. And then on the beasts as well. All right, thanks. Let's pray. Father, uh, we pray that this uh, just glance at these things, all the more, though, can encourage us about the uh, coming of Christ, uh, the great uh, fulfillment of all the promises of the Bible as you come and restore the earth. Lord, we praise you for such a salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.